following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. To preach on this subject tonight, the Christian's contentment, the Christian's contentment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray as we look into thy word tonight, Father, that you would help us. Lord, as we consider this, in one sense, an age-old conflict, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, Father, to understand the Christian's contentment, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, as we've said, and even as we were praying, it is an age-old conflict sometimes going into the heart of man. The story is told of the myth of greener grass. A man walked into a mental institution one day and was taken on a tour. The tour saw one cell where the man was beating his head against the padded walls. He kept saying, Linda, how could you do it? Linda, how could you do it? The guide explained that the man was in love with Linda, and when Linda had jilted him, he drifted off into the ozone. He couldn't handle it. They went to the next cell, and there was a man saying, Linda, Linda, how could this happen? Linda, Linda, how could this happen? The visitor said, who is he? The guide said, he's the man who married Linda. (laughs) That's the myth of the greener grass, you know? Sometimes you can't be content no matter what happens. Well... The battle centers around, if you will, uh, several issues, the first of which is learning to be content with what the Lord has given you. Verse 16 again, the Bible says, A little than a righteous man hath is better than riches of many wicked. What about, if you will, first of all, the gift of his righteousness? In in, uh, Proverbs 16 and verse 8, Proverbs 16 and uh, verse 8, The Bible says better, Proverbs 16 and 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. We may not have much of this world, but if we have the righteous, the gift of the righteousness of Christ, we have more than many in this world have. If you will, Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, and looking at verse 10, Romans 3 and verse 10, The Bible says here, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. There is none righteous, folks. If we're going to have righteousness, we'll have to receive it as a gift by grace through faith in Christ. In Isaiah 54, Isaiah 54 and 17, Isaiah 54, and verse 17, look there with me. We have to learn to be content with what the Lord has given us. If we're saved, we have first and foremost the gift of righteousness. In Isaiah 54 and 17, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Again, Romans 3 and 20. Romans 3, and looking back to verse 20, Romans 3 and 20. The Bible says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness which is of God by faith of Jesus Christ unto and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. The righteousness is of God. It's a gift of God by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. <clears throat> we have made him, speaking of Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may, uh, might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a great transaction taking place. God takes our sin upon himself and imputes to us or places on our account by grace through faith in Christ his righteousness. You know, we need to learn to be content sometimes with what we have. And sometimes we may not have much, but if we have the righteousness of Christ, we have more than money can buy, more than, again, what most people have in this life, though they may have everything. The story of to is told of what can and uh, what uh, money can and can't buy. Money will buy you a bed, but not sleep. Books, but not brains. Food, but not an appetite. Finery, but not beauty. A house, but not a home. Medicine, but not health. Luxuries, but not culture. Amusements, but not happiness. Religion, but not salvation. A passport to everywhere, but heaven. What a blessing it is that if nothing else, as Christians, we have the gift of righteousness. But what about right gifts? What about right gifts? Again, in our text in Psalm 37, 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Look with me to Proverbs 3 and 33. Proverbs 3 and uh, verse 33. <clears throat> Proverbs 3 and verse 33. The Bible says the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. James 1 and 17. James 1 and 17. <clears throat> Here the Bible says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above doesn't necessarily define what they are, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. But what good gifts, and if you will, <clears throat> what perfect gifts come from God as a gift to us. Look with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, this is not something that all we'd often think of as a gift, but if you look with me to Psalm 139, and then verse 14. Psalm 139 and uh, verse 14. David says here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Now, you know, he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, folks, what a, what a miracle, uh, you know, uh, birth is and the human body and all this. And, folks, it is a good gift that God made you the way you are. That God made you that we say, well, I don't like the way I look. Take it up with God. <laughs> the reality is this. God made us to look a certain way. God made us to be a certain way. Gave us our personality. And sometimes we struggle with the way we look. Sometimes we struggle with our personalities, especially 
if our personalities get out of control. You know, sometimes some of us like to talk more than we should, and we, get our, we open our mouths, we stick our foot in it, we cause trouble for ourselves just with our mouths. But it's our personality, and it can be under control. And, you know, folks, it can be a gift from God. You know, we should learn to be content with the gift of who God made you to be. You know, sometimes we, we, uh, we begin to compare ourselves with other people in the world. And you know what, what's bad about Hollywood? You know what's bad about Hollywood is that they put forward a picture of what looks like the perfect people, the most, the beautiful people. The, the women are on, on, in Hollywood, and I don't want to say they're all this way, but they, they look for the beautiful people and the beautiful women, the, the, the handsome, rugged men. And then we sit down and we watch television, we watch some of this going on, and suddenly we're not content with what we are, with what God made us to be, with the way we look. And yet God made you to look the way you look, to be the way you are, because God wanted you to be. And folks, it's a gift from God. And you say, I wish you'd give me a different gift. Amen? <clears throat> and sometimes, uh, I was at uh, work, we were having a meeting the other day, and, and uh, one of the guys was saying, yeah, yeah, Dan, he's just chunky. I said, I'm not chunky, I'm just fat. <laughs> I, said, you know, I said, I'm trying to lose weight, but it doesn't, you know, let's not make it what it isn't. Amen. I like to laugh at myself because what else am I going to do? <laughs> Cry. <laughs> Amen. I avoid mirrors on purpose. Sometimes we have to learn to be content with what we are because we can't be somebody else. And there's some good in what you are and the way God made you to be. And you may be more beautiful than some other woman, but you're not better than them. You're different than them. You know, sometimes we make comparisons that are ridiculous. God never intended. He made, you know what, folks? He wants us to learn to appreciate what we are. You know, I, I know of some Christian servants that are not in an all, any way, shape, or form worried about the way they look because they're so ordinary that they're not concerned about it. And they're not caught up with their looks or what have you. Look with me at 1 Peter 3 and verse 1. 1 Peter 3 <clears throat> And verse 1, <clears throat> Bible says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward, that outward adorning of the plating of hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on an apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in the which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. Now, the Lord is not endorsing frumpiness. He's not saying, yeah, it's okay, ladies, if you're just a walking frump. You don't care about the way you look. You don't care whether you take a bath or comb your hair or put on your makeup. And there's no sin in, now listen, there's no sin in women wearing makeup. You know, I remember Brother Silcox used to say, uh, every, any old barn needs a little paint. Amen. What a terrible thing to say. A woman calling them an old barn. He got away with it, though. I mean, sometimes people laughed at it. <laughs> but uh, it's okay for women to wear makeup. It's okay for them to wear some jewelry. But he's saying the focus shouldn't be on necessarily the outward appearance. Not that we should, again, be slobs or what have you. The, one of the important things is our spirit, is our heart and what's going on inside. And, you know, <clears throat> uh, 
he's also not endorsing or saying that every woman has to be quiet. You know, some women are very outgoing, even to the point of being a little outspoken in their personality. Is that wrong? No. Because everyone's different. God made different women to be different, men to be different, and what have you. The important thing is that we're in submission to God, be willing to do whatever the Lord wants us to do and be whatever the Lord wants us to be. We're talking about the gift of what God has made us. You know, when I was thinking about uh, women and frumpiness and all this other stuff and beauty, it reminded me of, a, of an old movie called uh, Pride and Prejudice. I love the old movies, and this particular one's kind of funny in some uh, points. And one of the sisters was kind of this tall, gangly, sort of odd-looking, didn't have a lot of talent. Matter of fact, when she sang, you wish she wouldn't sing. She was off-key and some other things. And one of her sisters said of her uh, that she had beauties of uh, character because she lacked uh, beauties in, of, of talent and, and maybe uh, of looks or what have you. But she said she had beauties of character. Well, beauties of character are important. Yeah, I remember years ago when I went to years ago when I went to high school, there were some there were some particularly beautiful girls that went to my high school, and you know what? I thought, wow, boy, would I like to go out with them. But then you start to observe them, and what I found out with some of the beautiful girls was that they were just snots. A lot of them were snots and nasty people, and so were some of the beautiful men, the handsome, tough, rugged men, just nasty. You know, the ordinary people were often nice people. He said, why are we on this? Well, we're talking about the gifts of what God has made us to be and, be and learning to be content with that in Proverbs chapter 31, Proverbs chapter 31 and uh, verse 30, Proverbs 31 and 30, <clears throat> the Bible says favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feared the Lord, she shall be praised. This is said of the virtuous woman. Virtue is more important sometimes than having all of the so-called outward beauty. If you'll look with me to Romans 12, Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> and beginning in verse 4, Romans 12 and verse 4. <clears throat> The Bible says, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. There's, you know, every one of us have different gifts, and we can't all be the same. We can't all do the same offices. Sometimes there are things that one person can do that another person can't do. But whatever gift God has given you, don't spend your time worrying about what, the fact that, well, maybe you don't have uh, Chloe's gift, amen? I have to, you're sitting there by yourself. You're my target again, amen? Whatever gifts they are <laughs> that Chloe has, don't be covetous, amen? Be content with the gifts that you have, amen? Not, every, not everyone can be lame, amen? And be as gifted as he is, amen? <laughs> don't compare yourself, amen? Be if you will, uh, learn to be content and, and rejoice in the gifts, the right gifts God has 
uh, given to us. <clears throat> Someone once said, I can't do anything. He says, anything I do, he says, he says but what somebody I, uh, somebody I know does it better. Joe is more disciplined to exercise. Bob plays golf better. I don't know how that would be. I can't play golf at all. Hyman is more organized. Powell sings better. GL tells funnier stories. And everyone on our block keeps up his front yard better. And those are just the local comparisons. You know, television puts excellence in every living room. So we see national or world best. Pity the local preacher whose flock stacks his sermons up against the nation's finest commentators. Now, I worry about that all the time. <laughs> or the hometown soprano who feels she must compete with the extraordinarily gifted and trained television singers. If excellence comes by comparison, by excelling among my peers, I quit. Ordinary is my ceiling. James 1, James 1 and verse 1. Let us, if you will, rejoice in the right gifts sometimes of trials and sufferings. James 1, I count it a joy when I come to church and have to suffer among some of you. Amen. James 1 and verse 1, a servant, James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ through the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There is a good gift to trials and sufferings and difficulties. Romans 8, Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Romans 8, if you will, and looking at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That God has a purpose in the trials and the gift of trials and sufferings that come into our lives. Not only should we learn to be content with the gift of righteousness and, a, and the right gifts, but also we need to learn to hate covetousness. Again, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. If you will, Proverbs 30 and 7. Proverbs chapter 30 and uh, verse 7. Here's Solomon writing and uh, a lot of the different Proverbs here. Says this, two things, Proverbs 30 and 7, two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. Remove from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. God would have us to learn to be content with what he's given us. Look with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And verse 6. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 6. The Bible says here, Better is an handful with quietness than both hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. It's better to have a little less and be content than to have too much. In Luke 12, Luke chapter 12, 
beginning in verse 15. Luke 12, beginning in verse 15. Here the Bible says, And he said unto them, speaking of Christ, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're talking about the issue of covetousness. The meaning of covetousness is simply the craving more of what you have enough of already. The craving of more of what you have enough of already. Colossians 3 and 5. Colossians 3 and verse 5. We need to learn not to be covetous. Here the Lord says in uh, Colossians 3 and 5, Mortify or put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's a form of idolatry in that we worship what we have. The story is told of living in idolatry. A preacher was once asked, how are you getting along? He said, we're living in idolatry. Just sitting around, admiring our new church we have we have arrived we have made it no more worlds to conquer what ought to be a milestone has become a millstone we have run out of goals what a sad thing when that when they've reached a goal and that becomes the end in of itself folks you know what even as we're i, I thank thank god for our church we know we need to realize this is a stepping stone We don't want it to become a millstone. We want to use it for the furtherance of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 beginning in verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and beginning in verse 3. Bible says here, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words... Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the doctrine, which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words. Where have come envy, strife, railings, evil, surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment therewith, let us be content. But they that will be rich <clears throat> fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money in itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil, 
which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Again, that, supposing that gain is godliness. Sometimes we imagine that the more we have is an indication of the fact that we're more godly. I've heard, uh, I've heard people say, and even preachers say, well, you know, I have these things because God has blessed me, and the, the impression they're giving is that they're godly, and God is blessing their godliness. Well, if that were the case, then there were times in the Apostle Paul's life when he must have been one of the most ungodly wretches on the face of the planet because there were times when he had nothing. Amen. And yet, who could question the godliness of Paul? You know, the story is told of the contented fisherman. The story uh, is of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. And he he said, uh, why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. He says, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them? You could earn more money, came the impatient reply. Buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, even catch more fish, uh, and make more money. So you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? You could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now? He was sitting, he had already been out fishing, got enough for the day, and was sitting around lazily enjoying life. It wasn't that he was lazy, but he had learned to ha- that what he had was enough to be content. He was not, if you will, covetous as the rich industrialist was. If you will, look with me to Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> Philippians chapter 4. And let's look at verse 10. Philippians 4 and 10. But I rejoice in the last, I rejoice uh, in the Lord greatly that at, at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were all so careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I remember years ago when I was living in Grand Forks, and uh, um, we lived in our mobile home. Brother Olson remembers our lovely mobile home. So does Joel. It wasn't very large. I think it was 14 by 56. I jokingly called it a tin can with a cardboard lining. It was a <clears throat> rather pleasant place to live. You could tell where the wind blowed in the wintertime by the, the direction the plastic billowed out inside. You could see the, wa- the walls frosted over and what have you. And I remember one time the assistant pastor at that time had come by my house and, you know, we, we had him in and, and he was looking around like, whoa. <laughs> and then later on he found himself living in the same trailer park. And he came to me, you know, he and his, his trailer was nicer. It was a three-bedroom trailer, longer than ours, nicer than ours. 
And he came to me one time in church and he said to me, Dan, he said, he said, how can you bear to live like that? And I said, live like what? And you know what my furniture was? It was mattresses put on a two by four frame and covered over with blankets. That was our couch and then we had a chair like that. We didn't have much, but you know what? There were times when there was a lot of happiness in our home. Say, Joel says, yeah, prove that by me. You weren't a kid living with us. Well, I could tell you stories about some things that Joel did when he was a kid, but I won't go there. We did have some funny things happen at different times in that trailer. And I can remember when there were times when we'd go back to Grand Forks and we'd want to drive by and see the trailer. And lo and behold, that thing hung on for a number of years, and finally you go back there, now it's gone. But, you know, I thought it the strangest thing because me and my wife were glad to have a house, or if you will, even though it was a mobile home, a vehicle of our own that we lived in. We weren't paying rent. At the time, it was paid off. We were paying lot rent and utilities. We were living rather rustically at times. But you know what? There are times when me and my wife, at least, will look back with fond memories and we thank God for having lived there for 14 years before we finally got a house. And I'll never forget the statement of one who was looking to build a big two-story house who had to live for a year and a half in a mobile home say, how can you live that way? Whatever. You know, we knew that, that we weren't going to live there forever. It was a means to an end. And we were willing to do what we needed to do so that eventually we would go out and go to where God had called us, and then we could think about buying a house and those kinds of things. And I, and I have a house that I'm thankful for. Is it grand and glorious? No, nah, not really. But it's better than it was when we, when we moved in. My wife has done a lot of changes on the inside, paintings and things, and we got uh, some money with a hail, hail damage thing to fix the outside. Is it grand and glorious? No, but it's home. It's home. And folks, you know, we can learn to be content where we are and with what we have for a time. You know, it, it's not wrong to look for something better and to strive for something better down the road. But there are times when we have to learn to be content with what we have. The story is told it could be worse. I love this. Once upon a time, there was a man who lived with his wife, two small children, and his elderly parents in a tiny hut. He tried to be patient and gracious, but the noise and, the, and crowded conditions wore him down. In desperation, he consulted with a village wise man. Do you have a, and the wise man said, do you have a rooster? Asked the wise man. Yes, he replied. He said, keep the rooster in the hut with your family and come see me again next week. <clears throat> the next week, the man returned and told the wise elder that living conditions were worse than ever with the rooster crowing and making a mess of the hut. And then he said, well, do you have a cow? Yes, he said rather fearfully. <clears throat> he said, take your cow into the hut as well and come and see me next week. One, over and over the next several weeks, the man on, on the advice of the wise elder made room for a goat, two dogs, and his brother's children, along with the cow and the rooster. Finally, he could take no more, and in a fit of anger, he kicked the, out all of the animals and guests, leaving only 
his wife, his two children, and his parents. The home suddenly became spacious and quiet, and everyone lived happily ever after. You know, (laughs) sometimes it's difficult to learn to be content. It's difficult to learn not to be covetous. And, you know, I like the story because to me it's hilarious. (laughs) But how true it is. How true it is sometimes. You know, Christian contentment doesn't necessarily, uh, isn't necessarily determined by our circumstances. We need to learn to be content with what we have and where we're at, where God's put us. And learn not to be covetous. You know, sometimes I, sometimes I know when people have come to my house, they've seen the Taj Mahal and said, oh, I've got to have that. Probably not. But maybe you've gone to someone's house and said, wow, I wish we had that. Or you, you, uh, you saw someone driving a new car and you said, wow, I wish I had that. And on and on it may go. You know what it boils down to sometimes is we're covetous. We haven't learned yet to be content with what God has given us. I'll tell you what, contentment concerning cars was a difficult thing for me. I have bought more lemons than I can shake a stick at. I had a, when I first, when I first moved to North Dakota, I bought this big old Bel Air boat. The thing was like a tank. And I hit, I, it was in an accident one, one day and I was glad I had the tank because we hit the guardrail on the overpass, concrete guardrail three times and didn't end up in the ditch. And I got out and looked at the car and there was hardly any scratches on it at all. And I thought, whoa, if it had been a modern car, I'd have been dead. But it wasn't. I remember then at one point I went out and bought my first Vega. Vega. Now, now if Joel had seen that, he would have said, oh, to, I'd die for a Vega. <clears throat> no, no. The first one I had was a white one had this cool racing steering wheel, and had a toggle switch. This is before Joel was born. And uh, I got in that thing, was driving all over the place, and finally, the engine went on it. I had it for nine months. And I went and bought another one. This one was orange with a black racing stripe. And I had trouble with the oil, and I'd be driving along, and every so, so often I'd stop at a, actually an intersection, jump out with a gallon jug of oil, pop the hood, dump some oil in it, put the cap back on, jump in the car, and drive on. It lasted nine months. And I never bought a Vega again in my life. Matter of fact, sometimes me and my wife will watch old shows and we'll say, do you see a Vega? We laugh about it. Folks, we can be content. Amen? Even with a Vega. Even with a Vega. You know, Christian contentment is not about circumstances. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.